thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Now, Jesus, we said last week, loved to teach from, ter- uh, from parables. Approximately one-third of all of his teachings came in the form of parables. But a parable is far more than just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's the most common definition. But Jesus said in Matthew 13 that he th- taught in parables so that for those whose hearts were receptive and those who would explore the meaning of the parables, uh, the parables revealed secrets of the kingdom of God. And in fact, in Matthew 13, Uh, He said that, or Matthew said that Jesus was a fulfillment of the prophet in Psalm 78 that said, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of time. When Jesus spoke in parables, it wasn't just a story with no depth to it. Jesus was revealing secrets that had been hidden since the creation of time. And that is fascinating to me. Now, last week we laid all of this out in scripture. So if you weren't here last week, Um, Go back and watch the video or listen to the podcast. But today we're moving ahead and we're looking at a parable that you might have never thought of as a parable. A lot of Jesus' parables are kind of lengthy stories with different characters. Today's parable is not lengthy and there are no characters in it. It's kind of short and sweet. We find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's one of only three, three parables that appears in all three of the synoptic gospels. And today we're looking at Luke's account of the parable in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 36. It says, Jesus told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine, uh, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Now I'm going to start this morning just by showing you the the practical truth uh, of this parable. Uh, A wineskin looked something like this. In the Bible days, there was slightly less plastic to it. Uh, It was made of animal skins. Most commonly, it was made of goat skins. And the way that it worked was they stored the wine in these uh, wine skins, but the wine in the skins continues to ferment. And what that does as it becomes alcohol is it releases carbon dioxide and that causes expansion. Now, the good thing about a skin, if it's a fresh skin, is it expands with the wine. So when you put wine and it continues to expand, the skin just expands with it. But when skin gets old, It becomes dry, it's no longer, uh, has its elasticity, it won't expand anymore. So if you put new wine in an old skin, the wine begins to expand, but the skin will not expand with it. So eventually it just bursts the skin and the wine uh, is poured out. uh, And you can pass it around, there's wine for everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, But the wine is, is spilled out and the skin and the wine are both ruined. Now that's the practical truth of this parable. But what's the spiritual truth? What was, as Jesus put it, the hidden thing from the creation of the, of the world, the secret thing of the kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking about in this specific parable? Now, to answer this question, we're going to look at what we always look at, and that's context. Uh, this takes place at the end of Luke chapter 5. So we're going to look at everything that's happening immediately before and immediately after Jesus shares this parable. 
Uh, it's going to be quite a bit of scripture today, uh, but this is church, so that's a good thing, I think. Um, now, what's happening in Luke chapter 5, I find hilarious. Uh, if any of you have kids, you know that kids are really smart, and what they learn as they get a little older is they learn your buttons, and they learn exactly what buttons to push. And I'm betting there are some teachers in here who could shout amen to that. Kids can find your buttons, and they press your buttons. They know what sets you off. I won't go in to our buttons because uh, some of you, I know you too well. And you would press those buttons. But what I see taking place in Luke chapter 5 is Jesus knows the Pharisees' buttons and he is pressing every button. He is stepping on their toes. It begins in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus calls a known sinner named Simon Peter to be his disciple. Now, uh, in that time in history, Simon would have been someone who was passed over by all the Pharisees when he was about 13 years old. So Jesus is calling the sinner that they said was not good enough. That's how Luke 5 begins. Then next in Luke, chapter, or, or in Luke 5 verse 12, Jesus is approached by a man with leprosy. Now, uh, it is against the Jewish law to touch someone who is unclean, someone who has leprosy. That's against the law. But the man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then verse 13, it says this, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus in this moment broke the law. So he's calling people that he's not supposed to call. And now he's touching people that he's not supposed to touch. Remember, all of this is taking place. It's no accident. It's setting the stage for the parable that's coming later. Next, we come to verse 17. And at this point, I want us to really focus in on the audience who's, who's around him at this moment. In Luke 5, beginning in verse 17, it says, One day Jesus was teaching, and here's his audience. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a man paralyzed on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven you. Then it says this, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Now I told you Jesus is pressing every button that he knows to press and he knows all of them. In case you're keeping score, just in this one chapter so far, Jesus is calling people he's not supposed to call. He's touching people he's not supposed to touch. And now he's saying things he's not supposed to say. Now we get to the very next event in Luke chapter 5. And again, this is not a conglomeration of random events taking place. Luke orders these things very purpose purposefully. And we're going to look at that in a little more in depth in just a minute. 
But the very next event says that he calls Matthew or Levi to follow him, calling a tax collector this time, another known sinner, to follow him. And Matthew is so excited that he invites all of his tax collector friends and they throw a banquet for Jesus. And then we get to verse 30 and we're going to look at the audience again. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, there they are again, who belong to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? So he offends them again. Now, if you're keeping score, he's calling people he's not supposed to call. He's touching people he's not supposed to touch. He's saying things he's not supposed to say. And now he's just doing things that he's not supposed to do. And then we get to the uh, very next thing that takes place in verse 33. The Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered essentially, why would they fast to get closer to God when God is with them? What's the point in fasting when I'm already with them? But now it's not just Jesus who's offending the Pharisees. Now his followers are offending the Pharisees. So Jesus is calling people he's not supposed to call, touching people he's not supposed to touch. He's saying things he's not supposed to say. He's doing things he's not supposed to do. And they're not doing the things that they're supposed to do. So they're offended at Jesus because he's doing what he's not supposed to, and he's not doing what he is supposed to. After all of this, we come to the parable. You don't tear a new cloth and patch it to an old one. You don't put old wine and new wines or, or new wine in old wine skins. Now we're almost done with the context. Two more things I want to show you very quickly. Immediately following this parable, we get to Luke chapter 6. The very first thing that happens in Luke 6 is the disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees, you guessed it, are offended because they're not observing the Sabbath correctly. Why are they picking grain on the Sabbath day? And then finally, right after that, we come to verses 6 through 11. Of chapter 6, it says, On another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Look at his uh, audience again. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful? On the, uh, on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it. And I wanted to stop right there just a minute, uh, and I want to point this out. To do evil was never on the table. They were never complaining that Jesus was doing evil, but what Jesus actually does here is he equates doing nothing to doing evil. He says, if I do nothing when I have the power to heal this man, then I have done evil. And if God has put you in a place where you can make change, where you have been placed there to do something and you do nothing, when I read this, it seems to me that that is equated to evil. If you have been placed somewhere for a purpose, then walk in that purpose. On to verse 10 before you walk out. It says, he looked around at all of them and he said to them, to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. And here's that audience again. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law were furious and be began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, when it comes to interpreting parables, the surrounding context is key to interpreting the parable. And in Luke, 
Uh, it's not just the surrounding context, but he actually uses a writing technique that I, I want to show you here uh, that was common in that day. It's common throughout scripture. It's called a chiasm or a chiasm, and it's used for interpreting uh, kind of mysteries like this. And I want to just show you the way a chiasm would work is an author would write about one topic. We'll call it topic A. And then he'll seemingly just randomly switch subjects to subject B. And then after he talks about subject B, he'll return to subject A. And what seems to have happened is he's just kind of lost his train of thought and then returned to it. But what's actually taking place is A and A are actually pointing to B. That middle part of the sandwich, we call it, is what it's all about. I'll show you a quick example of this in Mark chapter 11. I've shown you this before, but in Mark 11, Jesus sees a fig tree in leaf. In leaf means that it appears to be bearing fruit from afar until you get up closer, and then you can tell that it's actually uh, not bearing fruit anymore. So Jesus is talking or, or sees this, this fig tree. It's not bearing fruit. Uh, so the Bible says that uh, he says to the fig tree, tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then there's this random change of subject because then immediately after that, they go down to the temple and Jesus finds in the temple that they are selling and they are ripping people off. So Jesus goes in and he flips the tables and he drives out all the sellers. And then it's like uh, Mark remembers what he was supposed to be talking about because then the next thing that happens is they go back by the fig tree. And now we're back at the fig tree, and the disciples look, and they say, um, it's Matthew, or Mark eleven twenty. 20, uh, they saw that the fig tree was withered. It was completely destroyed. Now, it looks at first glance like these are just random subjects, but what is actually taking place is when they write like this, the temple uh, or, or the fig trees are an image of what's taking place to the temple system. It's actually all talking about that middle part, the temple. What's happening when Jesus sees the fig tree and it appears from afar that it's bearing fruit, but when you get closer, it's actually not bearing fruit. It's talking about the temple. When you look at the temple, it might look like it's bearing fruit. Many churches today from afar look like they're bearing fruit, but when you get up close, they're actually not bearing any fruit. So Jesus says, because you're not bearing any fruit, I'm going to curse you. You're no longer relevant or needed. And then he goes back and they find the fig tree is gone. And this is exactly what happened in 70 AD because the temple was no longer bearing fruit. It was destroyed. It, it was of, of no use any longer. Whenever you see anything like this, it's called a, a, a sandwich technique or a chiasm. That middle part is what it's all pointing to. I, I show you all this because Luke, in what we just read, uses one of these techniques. Uh, he begins very intentionally uh, in verse 27 with uh, Jesus offending the Pharisees. This is when he dines with the sinners, and they're all so offended at what Jesus has just done. They can't wrap their minds around this guy who is dining with sinners. And immediately after that, remember, they said, why are your disciples not fasting? So what happens right after that? The disciples offend the Pharisees. They can't wrap their minds around, why are they not following our traditions that we say are important? And right after that, we get to this random parable about wineskins. We move right into chapter 6, and it's a Sabbath day, and the, the disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are again offended at what the disciples are doing. They can't wrap their minds around it. And then finally, uh, Jesus 
Yeah, they are, is he going to heal someone on the Sabbath? And he does. So Jesus, again, offends the Pharisees. And what we have is like a club sandwich here. And it's all pointing to that middle parable of the wineskins. Everything that is surrounding the parable is pointing to the parable. So if we look at before and after the parable, Jesus is stepping on every toe. He is pressing every button. He is calling the uncalled. He is choosing the unchoosable, touching the untouchable, loving the unlovable, forgiving the unforgivable, dining with sinners without condemning them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees cannot wrap their mind around it. And that's because they have the old wineskin. Jesus is bringing the new wine of the grace of God and their minds are wrapped up in the old wine of the law. And their, old, their mind is the old wineskin which just cannot, cannot contain this new wine which is the grace of God. And what Jesus is saying as the disciples can't contain anything he's saying is he's saying, you don't put new wine in the old wineskins. What has to take place is a renewal of the mind, as Paul puts it. Jesus said, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That means some of the things that you used to think, you don't think that way anymore. Some of the things you used to do, you don't just add a little grace to it. No, there is a complete change that takes place in your life because you are walking in the new wineskin and in the new wine. That's why what we see happening when Jesus, for instance, heals the man with leprosy is you have a group of people who the Bible says were amazed and praising God, but the Pharisees were offended. Then we, look, we can look at the other aspect of this parable. In verse 36, it says, he told them this parable, no one tears a piece of a new garment, which is grace, to patch an old one which was the law of the Old Testament. Otherwise, they will have the, uh, torn the new garment and the patch won't even match the old. What's implied here, first of all, is that the old garment is ripped. It's torn. There's something wrong with the Old Testament law. And you know, the Bible actually says that was the case. In Hebrews chapter 8, it says that if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, which is the covenant of law, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. That was the problem with the law. Man couldn't keep the law. The law was a good thing because you couldn't approach God. He was so holy. But man couldn't keep the law. And what Jesus said is you don't take the law and just patch it up with grace. You don't say I'm going to walk in the law and I'm going to earn my way into the favor of God. And I'm going to do this and do that to earn the favor of God. And if I slip up, the grace of God will just patch up that little slip. No, Jesus said there is an entirely new mindset that you take on called grace. And that is that you do not earn the favor of God. You are in the righteousness of Christ. He has earned the favor of God on your behalf. The Bible says that, that Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Where it says that... that uh, that if you try to take the, the old patch or the, the new patch and it doesn't match the new one, that literally means that they don't agree with one another. 
You can't intermingle the two. The Bible says that you are saved by grace alone, not by works. By grace through faith alone. And then there's this part that gets just a little bit confusing. Brian, you can come up. Uh, because he ends the parable in Luke 5:39 by saying this. No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Now, uh, this again, this parable appears in all uh, three of the synoptic gospels. And this is the only verse that I read that, that makes it kind of look like the old wine was better than the new. When you read this at first, it's like, wait a minute, you're saying the law is better than grace. But what you have to remember is the context. You have to remember that there are a bunch of offended Pharisees and teachers of the law who just can't receive the grace of God. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, those who have drunk on the law, they don't want grace. Those who, who have given themselves over to the law, it is so hard for them to desire grace, because if you, you think of the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the law was their life. That was everything to them. They had devoted their lives, their educations, their work to learning the law. And now you have somebody coming and saying, hey, the law was already fulfilled through me. Now I'm talking about grace. And Jesus is saying, if they have drunk of the old wine, the law, it's so hard for them to cross into the doctrine of grace. And that's true today. Because many of us in, in this room, we grew up in churches that were all about works, all about earning our favor with God, all about what, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And if I mess up, God is angry with me until I, I have repented enough and felt horrible enough about myself that he receives me back into his presence. That's not the doctrine of grace. But you know, if that's the doctrine you grew up on, it's really hard to, to cross into the doctrine of grace. You'll notice that last verse, if you'll put it back on the screen, Greg. It doesn't say that those who have tried the new wine desire the old wine. It just says those who drink the old wine just basically assume that the old is better. This isn't talking about people who have lived in the grace of God. It's talking about the Pharisees. Remember context and the teachers of the law saying those who have given themselves to the law don't desire the grace that I offer. Can you guys stand with me this morning? be hard to accept the grace of God when all of your life has been about earning. This morning as Brian leads us, if you can take this time and this moment to embrace the grace of God, to embrace the new wine, this is that moment for you. Maybe for you, this moment is about praying that God just helps you to do that. Father, we invite your presence into this place. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we don't have to earn our way to you, God. 
I thank you that we don't stand in self-righteousness, but we stand in the righteousness of Christ. And I pray this morning that your spirit would uh, continue to speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name. yesterday. It's going to be our first local outreach. If you can be here bright and early at 7. If you don't get up at 7, you can come spend the night Saturday night. We'll just open it up for you. But, uh, but have a really good week. Thank you so much for being here. I think that's it. Break. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, May God bless you.